Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Galatians 4.8. Now the last time we got together, we spoke about I mean, this is the Apostle Paul, you know, he's, he wrote almost pretty much the, the half of the New Testament. God used him, he had an incredible, powerful testimony, and, you know, he was going to hell. He was a religionist, steeped in religion, but he, was, he knew by his own example he wasn't going to make it. When he came to Christ, he understood salvation, he understood the Holy Spirit. So everything in Paul's life was devoted to letting everybody else know about salvation, you know, when you, when you come to Christ and you have a personal relationship with Jesus, you, you know, you want other people to know. And sometimes it doesn't always come off right, but the desire in the heart is there because you want them to have the same benefits that you received. So Paul is, he's witness to the Galatians. He makes this case for salvation is not by religion or works, but it's by faith in Jesus Christ, by grace, the grace of God. It's a gift of God, lest anyone should boast. And the false teachers were coming and trying to pull the Galatians away from what they had understood and teach them this weird doctrine. So he makes, in the last Sunday sermon, we talked about the maturity argument for believing in you know, grace, uh, being the gift of God, salvation, coming through that. Uh, we also talked about the, uh, the, it was the maturity argument, the, um, the unity argument. And today, he's going to, it's very interesting, because today we're going to talk about some doctrine. But this, I only picked about verses 8 through 20, a real snapshot of the chapter, because as I'm going through the chapter, something struck me. And actually, today I'm going to do something a little bit unorthodox. You know, the Apostle Paul says things like, I'm concerned for you. You know, I feel like I might have wasted my time with you. He says, I've told you the truth, and now I've become your enemy. So what happens is you see this, this personal strain between the Apostle writing this letter to the Galatians. You know, he taught them the right things. They seem to be on the right track, and now they're being wooed by this false teaching, and it's really troubling him. And I think this is the thing that a lot of people don't want to talk about in ministry, and I believe that if you've ever led somebody to Christ, or if you've ever discipled somebody, or if you've ever served in any capacity, honestly, this is really going to be for you, because this is the thing that people don't want to talk about, but the truth is we do have feelings. We do have emotions. And Paul's going through a difficult time, feeling like a spiritual parent, and that his children are going in the wrong way and they can be hurting themselves. And he's trying to prevent that from happening. So, you know, this is called the personal cost of ministry, but we're going to look at the relational strain that he has. And also, if you're doing real ministry, you're going to have that relational strain as well. So let's check this out. Starting with verse 8. He says, But then indeed, when you did not know God... Now he's going back to telling the Galatians, you know, before when they were heathens and doing all kinds of pagan stuff, and before they really got saved. He says, when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not gods, but now after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. Now, I don't normally do this, but I'm actually going to go into the Living Bible, which is a paraphrase. 
And there's sometimes pitfalls with paraphrases because it's one person's opinion about you know, our vernacular. So take the old Greek and bring it into our vernacular. What would it sound like today in pretty much 2016 or whenever it was translated? So I'm going to go in there because it does bring out the feelings and passions of what the Apostle Paul was going through. So reading that again, he says, Before you knew God, speaking to the Galatians, you were slaves to so-called gods that didn't even exist. Worshipping pagan gods, being polytheists, they didn't know God. They thought they were worshipping God, but they didn't know any better. They were ignorant. He says, And now that you have found God, or should I say that now that God has found you, how can it be that you want to go back again and become slaves once more to another poor, weak, useless religion of trying to get to heaven by obeying God's laws? You're trying to find favor with God by what you do or what you don't do on certain days or months or seasons. I want to stress that because we're in a season right now. Or years. I fear for you and I'm afraid that all my hard work for you is worth nothing. Nothing. So I can't stress this enough. This could have been written yesterday to New Jerseyans in 2016. It's so applicable. You either get to heaven through Christ, which is what Christ taught in John chapter 3, uh, or you believe you get to heaven because you are part of this big religion that a lot of people follow, which is nowhere in Scripture. So we either believe Jesus, Paul, Peter, John, or we believe a religion or a religious leader. I want to tell you the truth. When I die, I'd rather rely on Jesus Christ than some membership card of a denomination, even Calvary Chapel. So, so we're a Calvary Chapel. Whoop-de-doo. You know, it doesn't mean that everybody in a Calvary Chapel is saved either. You have to have a relationship with your God, okay? So many today think, again, that religion is this powerful entity that will back them when they get to the so-called pearly gates. Now, he says, the Apostle Paul, the weak and beggarly elements. Now, I went into my Greek, and I'm using some synonyms here, and if I can just make some analogies of, of the words, what's a weak and beggarly element? Apostle Paul is saying, powerless, your religion that you're relying on feeble, paucity. One translation was as if an adult was going back to toy ABC blocks. Verse 9, he says, it's not only immature, but you're putting yourself in bondage. Okay, so let me give you an image. We can do things as adults that if we went back and started acting like children, there's a term for that. It's called regression. Sometimes you have your first child and the child gets through all these steps and then you have the second and it's a baby and the older child regresses because they want, it's, it's this whole psychological thing. But the bottom line is, so here let me give you a visual. Um, for, for many years I'd be out on patrol on afternoon shift and I would do my patrol and I'd be working Halloween and my shift was 2 to 12.30. So all day long I would see trick-or-treaters and people dressing up and going to Halloween parties. And there was this one year, like this trends, you know, in costumes, presidents, different things. There was this one year that men would dress up in their, their 30s, 40s, 50s, usually hairy guys, and they would be a baby. <laughs> and you'd see this grown man with a huge diaper and a bonnet and a big bottle and a beard. Okay, that's weird. So now you've got a visual. <laughs> and I'd be driving around thinking, put some clothes on, brother. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But you know where I'm going with this. Spiritually people regress, or the Galatians were regressing spiritually. And he's basically saying, this is not befitting for where you are 
in your walk. Okay, verse 10. He says, you, Galatians, you're observing days, special days, special months, seasons, and years. And don't take offense to this, but if you're a Chris, Christmas and Easter Christian, well, I, I, that's going to help me. So when I die, I can say, at least I went to church on Christmas and Easter. Big deal. A special season, a special month, a special day, it means nothing. Honestly, if, if that's your devotion to God, then you probably should just enjoy life and, and not come to church at all because it's not going to help you one bit. It's a relationship with the living God. So he says this, um, and here's the question. Are religious observances necessarily bad? No, they're not. Romans 14 actually speaks about Christian liberty. You want to observe something? Great. You, you don't want to? Don't worry about it. But don't make or don't force or don't make somebody feel guilty because they don't observe it. See, that's the key. Is it mandatory? Is it expected? Right? So let me just go through a few of these. Right? Seventh-day Adventists. You must worship on Saturday. That's their rules. Uh, and they feel that there's major spiritual implications if you don't. They're observing days. Uh, whether it's Islam or some portions of Christianity, and I've talked to a lot of people. You know, they go to, um, to fast. Fasting is part of their regimen. And I've been told, well, what we do is we gorge ourselves right up until the time that we have to fast. Stop eating, right? We just shove food in our mouth and fill our bellies, and then we fast. And then when fasting is over, we gorge ourselves again. To me, I don't know about you, but that's like beating the system. You know what I'm saying? You kind of miss the point. I mean, you don't feel hungry. You probably feel a lot of heartburn. But, you know, you're gorging yourself before and after. It just misses the point of what fasting is supposed to be, right? Today, or between Ash Wednesday and Easter, we're in the season, Roman Catholic Church and many Protestant denominations of Lent. It's this six-week period. Now check out what you do in this six-week period between Ash Wednesday and Easter. Uh, it's prayer, repentance, giving to the poor, and good works. I don't know about you, but that sounds like what we should be doing as Christians. You know, not just for six weeks. You know, this is supposed to be a lifestyle. Right? And some ask, well, why don't you observe this? Because I prefer the lifestyle. I prefer the relationship with the Lord. That's just me personally, to each his own. Okay? And I have to tell you this, that um, I was challenged early in my faith about even Christmas and Easter and things leading up to it from somebody who was, I guess you could say, anti-God. And she said, well, you know, there's a lot of paganism mixed into that. And I actually did some research, a lot of research on the Roman Empire, and I found out that she was right. The Emperor Constantine, you know, there was so, so, the church grew so strongly under persecution. And then when Constantine, the Emperor, said, well, I'm, I'm a Christian now, it's really questionable about his conversion, but what he did was he made Christianity legal. Remember, the pagans were the majority of the Roman Empire. To not start an uproar and civil dispute, what he did was he emerged paganism with Christianity. And a lot of things about Easter and, and Christmas are weird. And they have no grounding in the scripture. And some of it has really pagan origins. And as a church, we just prefer not to... Listen, we observe the birth of Christ. That's awesome. That's important. We observe the fact that he was resurrected, even more important. Because now all his promises were based on his promise to come back from the dead. Uh, but there's other things that are really questionable and spurious. So just you know, keep it in mind. Let's go back to verse 9 for a moment. This is, and you can, if you read the Bible too fast, you can miss the subtlety. 
And in the subtlety is a lot of important doctrines. So, Paul says, you know, now that you know God, and then he pauses and says, or that God knows you. That's very important. Because people will say today, I have my own relationship with God. Okay, so my question is, is God good with that own relationship with God? Because he does, in his word, talk about how he wants us to worship him. It's almost like being married and doing everything you think you, you want your spouse to enjoy, but they don't really like that. They would prefer other things from you, and you keep shoving what you want down their throat. Well, there's going to be a problem at some point. You're going to be in counseling or divorce court because that spouse is like, this isn't loving me. So, you know God, does God know you? Very important. Romans, or excuse me, Matthew seven twenty one through 23, Jesus even quoted and he, he described in these verses 21, 22, 23, religious observances, things that people did in Jesus' name, and when they come to him in the end, he'll say, I never knew you. Now, to know has a wide semantic range, like the word judge. Of course, he knows us. He knows who we are. He created us. But he didn't know us in a relationship way. And that's actually kind of scary. There's some things in the Bible that you read that you're like, whoa. Now, it doesn't bother me because I do know the Lord. I, I spend time with him. I desire. Listen, I'm not perfect. I could pray more. I could read the Bible more. I could do a lot of things better. You know, I'm a sinner. Sometimes my flesh takes, takes uh, the better of me. But I know the Lord knows me. And I know that I know him. Right? And remember, for you to be here this morning and desire God, he's already been working in your heart. The Bible says, 1 John says, we love him because he first loved us. And God loves us and shows us he loves us in different ways throughout our lives. And he tries to get our attention, but he won't dominate us and make us love him. Because even in the world, that's weird. And actually, there's laws against that. So, you know, God is a gentleman. He's, he, he gently loves us. He woos us. He tries to get our attention. But we have free will. We can spurn him or we could continue that relationship and make that connection, that love connection, so to speak. Verse 12, moving on. The Apostle Paul says, Brethren, I urge you to become as I am, for I am as you are. You have not injured me at all. You know that because of physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at, at the first. And my trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. It doesn't mean that Paul was an angel, and understand that Greek word, uh, angelos, means also messenger. So these, these people, they received him when he first came and started preaching the gospel. But he had, there was, he had this problem, this physical infirmity. Verse 15, what then was the blessing you enjoyed? For I bear you witness that if possible, you have plucked out your own eyes and give them, given them to me. Powerful. Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? This is relational. A little cryptic because we don't know a lot of the context behind the relationship with Paul and the Galatians. We just know what we read in the Scripture. We just know what we read in totality of the Bible. God tells us what we need to know. Right? John In John 21, the, the apostle says, I suppose if... If, if we recorded everything that Jesus did, all the books in the world couldn't hold what he did. Jesus was every day, he was up, he was ministering, he was saving people, he was healing them, he was feeding them. So the Bible gives us what we, it's a perfect sized book, because it's a lifelong pursuit, but it's not so many volumes that you can never get through it. 
God's just perfect in everything he does. So this is a relational issue between the Galatians and the Apostle Paul, and there's a crisis, okay? And sometimes when we're having a dispute with those we love, we try to put a little personal warmth in there to break the, the tension. If you're a married couple, you know, you could go nuclear as a married couple, and you start insulting each other. It's like sleeping with the enemy. Because if you've lived long enough with the spouse, you're vulnerable. They know everything about you and vice versa. So, you know, it's funny. When we do marital counseling, we teach fair fighting. You know, don't say this and don't cross the outline. This is not a good idea because they could go nuclear. And then it's hard to recover from that, right? So Paul has this loving relationship with this group of people. And he's trying to make sure that he sprinkles it with some personal warmth to break the tension. Verse 12, he says, become as I am. How were they now, and how was Paul, and why was he saying this? Because the way Paul was, was presently, as he's writing this letter, is he went from religious bondage to freedom, and he's saying, Galatians, be like me. I'm free. I was in a religion, and I was uh, bound by this religion, and it was so dry and so cold. I don't want you guys to go there. I love you. First uh, Corinthians 11.1, 1, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So be like me. And he's not saying I'm Jesus or I'm great. He's basically saying, follow my example. And certainly in Corinthians, follow my example as I act and behave as Christ, being salt and light. He continues, he goes, for I am as you. In essence, he became as the Galatians to win them. In other words, check this out. Here's this this. If you, you know, just from everything I read in the scripture, the guy maybe didn't have a great stature. You know, he was unassuming to look at, very, very eggheady, very uh, intellectual, uh, very religious, wearing all the religious Jewish garments. In his particular sect, they didn't really like the Gentiles. They felt that they were dirty, and, and it was, a, I guess you could say, a, a racism in that culture. He gets saved by Christ, and now. God puts him with the very people that he couldn't stand. You know, these, whoa, it's the foot thing. Uh, so, you know, he puts them with these people, these pagans who have, they're, they're warlike, they're, they're savages, they're um, just such base, fleshly people. What, how, isn't that amazing how God does that? When, you become, when I became a Christian, you know, God just taught me to love people. It didn't matter who they were, where they came from. Uh, it just, it just, it's just in, that unity in Christ. You just want to love people. And they were so different. He puts Paul with them, and they developed this relationship. I could, I could picture Paul eating the foods that he would have never eaten before with these Gauls, you know, these warlike people. And he gets to know them. He gets involved in, in their community, and he wins them to Jesus. So he's, through this letter, he's, put, he's bringing this passion between him and them. I became as you to, to win you. I understand you. I love you. I wanted you to be saved. And now... Galatians, you need to cross over from how you feel about me, how you were jaded by those false teachers. You need to now understand me. And sometimes when we disciple people, we, you know, we try to mentor them, they can get into a rut of feeling that they have high expectations on you, but they have very little expectations on themselves. That's a danger. Because that person, in order to grow, they have to understand that they have, there's expectations on them as well. So you see this back and forth. It's pretty powerful. Uh, and Paul ends with, you haven't injured me. In other words, Paul's not sitting there, oh, the Galatians, they broke my heart. I don't think I could witness to one more person. He's basically saying, listen, I'm not crying in my milk. That's my paraphrase. 
but you're only hurting yourself. You know, I look at myself as a spiritual parent to you. You're hurting yourself, okay? And it's that personal element that we all have that sometimes we don't want to talk about. But it's there. It's there. Basically, he's saying your salvation is in question, not mine. You know? Okay, so I'm going to paraphrase now these few verses. 13 through 16. This is the way I'm paraphrasing it. So here's the Apostle Paul speaking to the Galatians. Remember the good old days. Remember when I came to you with the gospel of salvation? Remember when I had that affliction, that horrible physical thing, and like some people couldn't look at me, but you accepted me anyway because you looked at me like I was like an angel of God giving you this great message of salvation. Those were the good times. Remember, Galatians, when you were so appreciative of me that if I needed eyes, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me? Now, Galatians, some of you, I have to bear a heavy spiritual truth. It's something that you don't want to hear, and all of a sudden, I've become your enemy. And if you've been in ministry and you've discipled, you know this feeling. (laughs) You can go from a hero to a zero in the snap of a finger. You know what I'm saying? You can do the right thing, all the things right, and all of a sudden you become a hero to a villain. You know, and I... I caution I cautioned those who, who they want to be discipled or they want to grow through the television set. Now, I'll give you two people. Let me just be completely innocuous about this, who have very different ministries. So a lot of people watch Joel Osteen on TV, and he's, he says, he said to Larry King, he goes, I don't say anything negative. I'm just a positive person. Basically, he's a motivational speaker. You watch him on TV, he's, he's not relatable, you probably never know really much about his family or, or his, because he's basically there and you see him and he's all done up and, and, and that's it. That's, you can't even shake his hand or talk to him on the side or counsel with him. But always f- trying to follow somebody through a TV, especially someone who never tells you anything negative, we can't grow that way. On the other extreme is a guy like Vaudi Bauchum, who's he's a big dude, looks like a football player, he, um, he's very fire and brimstone. I like some of his stuff. And, uh, you know, some people say, oh, I love Vadi Bauchum. And they think that they're going to get something through the television screen. You know, and they, they, oh, I like it straight, and I've heard this. And I've said to some who I've had to deal with in discipline, you like him unless you went to his church and you did something wrong and he took you in his office and they dressed you down. I said, you wouldn't like him anymore. It's real easy to like somebody and get to know them through a television set. And that's where, again, this Paul spent this time with these people. There was this interaction, this physical interaction. That's so important because God made us relational beings. And the biggest thing that I try to teach people is that God wants a relationship with you. And people say, I, I don't get that. He's not, he's not tangible. How does that? And we have to walk you through it. But this is God. He's a relatable God. And then when we disciple, we're relatable. You see what I'm saying? You see this, we we, we try to be like God. I mean, we're not gods, but we try to be like his character. Okay, and this is what's going on. Um, Going back to verse 14, so the Apostle Paul, and people speculate, and I don't want to speculate too much because I just don't know. We don't know. He had some malady. He had this physical issue when he witnessed to the Galatians, and some say, well, it was an eye disease. Like people have all these, it could have been malaria, whatever. I don't know. I'm never going to know until I get to heaven. If God wants to tell me that, he can. But it's not important. 
You know what the, the, the cool thing is with the Apostle Paul? And you see this with the Old Testament prophets. You see this with the disciples. Today, sometimes Christians, the temperature has to be just right for them to serve. And, and sometimes I even see in a ministry application, I won't do this, and I won't do that, and I won't do, well, what do you do? <laughs> what do you want to do? Well, I can't commit to this, and I can't commit to that. Oh, my goodness. Here's the Apostle Paul struggling through some physical thing, and he just is pressing on. And that's why I believe God honored him with being able to write half the New Testament under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And I think he's a great, he's a great witness to us in that the temperature and not, things don't have to be so perfect to serve. So let me just take a break from that and say, um, we have ministry applications out in the hallway. <laughs> so if God is moving you today to serve, you can fill one out and we'll go through it and we'll put you somewhere. Okay. We'll move on. <laughs> Verse 16, he says, uh, Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Strong words. Some people now, you might have been a Christian, you might have grown up in the church, and maybe they didn't use the Bible that much, and you're sitting here going, Wow, I've never seen this before. Well, listen, this is the same Bible that Protestants use and Catholics use and all kinds of Christians. It's the same Bible. Okay? Very little uh, minor variations in in uh, translations, they all take the, from the same source, and the translations are usually vernacular issues. So the King James Bible, the thou, yeah, we brought it to the, this country, but over the years we stopped using that language, so they make it so that we don't get confused and tripped up in, in those types of things. So the whole um, um, contradictory and uh, translation um, argument is just bogus. I mean, I've done a lot of study on it, and I could help you out if you have a question about it. So verse 16 Basically, he, you know, here's the Galatians. They're, woo, are, they're being wooed by these false teachers, right? They're, they're probably uh, trash-talking Paul. He doesn't know what he's talking about. We got this esoteric stuff that he didn't teach you, and this is going to make you a better Christian. And Paul now is, is, is crashing the party, okay? He's basically, they're being ministered to in some emotional way. And, and this, is, this is the trouble sometimes when you disciple somebody or you mentor them. You can see that they're moving towards a cliff. They're moving towards uh, an impediment. And spiritually, you see it and they don't. And they want to go from point A to point B. They have their heart set on it. And God's telling you, be faithful. Tell them what the problem is with that. And, and I tell you, I felt this. Oh, Lord, why me? Can't you use somebody else? It's not going to be taken really well. I, go, oh, you're, I see a lot of head shaking. I know a lot of you guys do discipleship. And uh, you become now the obstructionist. You become the impediment between the person's point A to the person's point B. And this is what was going on. But similar to the Apostle Paul, for those of you that do this, be faithful. Let, let my words ring in your head. You run into that situation, maybe you're dealing with it right now, be faithful. Proverbs 27, 5 through 6 says this, open rebuke is better than love concealed. So, you know, don't love people by hiding your love for them. Sometimes your love for them needs to be a little bit open, even though it might not be taken well. And also continuing in verse 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. And I think in social media, we've become such a narcissistic culture that we want to put up a post and we want people to tell us now, there's a love button on Facebook, by the way. Right? There's all these... <laughs> listen, I'm so behind the times. 
I put something up at the church wall, and I saw a heart. I'm like, what's, I've never seen this before. Apparently, Facebook now, an angry, there's an angry, a happy, love, oh my goodness. So basically, you can just be, uh, you can just put yourself into the computer and be a machine at this point. Uh, but, you know, you know people, people get so upset if they put up a post and a person puts up something negative. They'll often delete it or they just want those to follow them that want to tell them what they want to hear. And that's sad. And, and that stuff, I tell you, that stuff leaks into the church. It seeps. And it's my job to say, this is wrong. I have to tell you this is wrong. We need to hear at times negative things lovingly about ourselves if we're doing something wrong. I actually had um, a couple, it's, it's, it's not a good situation, you wouldn't know who it is, but um, many years later, he came to me and he goes, why didn't you, why didn't you um, be more forceful? I said, because I already have a reputation of being authoritarian. I said, well, I'm going to tell you, don't get married. I said, I say it, you guys are probably not a good idea at the time. You know, I try to say a lot of things and, you know, I'm not listened to. And now there's big problems, and it's really sad. It's a heartbreaking situation. So you, when you're a leader, you're, you're in this pinch between you have to say, what, and I did, but how far do you go? Because then people say, he's trying to control my life. I'm not controlling anybody's life. I got enough trouble with my own life. I don't need to be controlling yours too, okay? So, <laughs> but it's, it's, listen, this is the personal side that's coming out of, of pastoring. I'm just being honest with you. Uh, eldering, you know, the women that are doing this stuff, that are being faithful, it's, it's not easy sometimes. Verse 17, last few verses of the morning, he says, they, meaning those false teachers, they zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you, that is, may be jealous, that you may be jealous for them. They want you to like them and really look up to them. But it is good to be zealous in a good thing always, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you, I would like to be present with you now and to change my tone, the tone of his letter, for I have my doubts about you. Now let's look at this in the Living Bible. It becomes even more uh, exaggerated, powerful. He says, Those false teachers who are so anxious to win your favor are not doing it for your good. What they are doing is trying to shut you off from me so that you will pay more attention to them. It is a fine thing when people are nice to you with good motives and sincere hearts, especially if they aren't doing it just when I am with you. Oh, my children, how you're hurting me. I am once again suffering for you the pains of a mother waiting for her child to be born, longing for the time when you will finally be filled with Christ. How I wish I could be there with you right now, and not have to reason with you like this, for at this distance, frankly, I don't know what to do. The NIV says, frankly, I'm perplexed by you. Companion scripture, 2 Corinthians 12, 15. Okay, he's, now he's, in this venue, he's speaking to the Corinthians. He says, I'm glad to give you, I know it's a little bit different than what you're reading, is the paraphrase one, I'm glad to give you myself and all I have for your spiritual good, even though it seems that the more I love you, the less you love me. Now, it's kind of funny because Jesus uses terms like born again, okay? So you can go your whole life not even considering God. You're born again of the Spirit. You turn to Christ. You trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. And then uh, Paul picks on what Jesus says, and he says, 
well, you can have spiritual milk and then you have spiritual meat. So it's basically this parallel between the birth of a baby to a child to an adult with the spiritual walk. Okay? So here, it's, he's speaking as if he's a spiritual parent and the kids are rebelling against him. Now, for those of you that are parents, it's heartbreaking when you give your kid what you think is right, the right discipline, the right love. You buy them things. You, you, want to, you, you invest so much of yourself, and then they, they get nasty with you. They snap at you. They say, and I've seen these situations in counseling, and kids don't realize, I hate you, Mom, or I hate you, Dad. And it's, it's so painful, perfect timing. Uh, so <laughs> it's, it's just such a, a difficult thing for parents to deal with because it, it wounds them deeply, even though the child says, oh, next day I'm good with mom and dad. But that leaves a scar. So this whole spiritual parenting thing is brilliant because there's really this analogy. You're pouring yourself into someone, albeit a stranger, but you're putting your time, your love, your energy, sometimes your finances, and they treat you really horribly, Okay. And I got to tell this, say this too, you got to love the Johnny-come-latelys. You lead a person to Christ, you disciple them, you turn them into a good product, you do all the hard work, and they come along, and there's people that just do this. They take that almost finished product, and then they try to mold the person into their selfish motives, and they use a lot of sugar in doing this. So it's very sad. Now, in the Galatians, you say, well, what, what was the deal with the Galatians? Well, the false teachers were basically teaching them that, yeah, we, we know the whole salvation by grace, faith, and all that, but we want to add something to you, and we want to tell you that, you know, you can do these rites and observances and religious works. And then what happens is, just like in the world, you know, you compete for a, a strength competition or a running, or you, you, you prepare for a, a promotion and you study, and these are achievements. What that does is it's brought into the spiritual realm or the religious realm, and people now compete against others and say, well, I'm better than you. I'm a better Christian. I'm a better this. I know this, and you don't. Look at me. It's weird. But listen, it happens today in 2016. So the flesh loves competition, the part of us that's not spiritual. And sometimes the flesh and the spirit, they war against each other. So this was somewhat enticing to the Galatians, and Paul was saying this is not good. Verse 19, he says, My little children, Jesus spoke about grown people as children because he was fully God and he loved them and he had a hand in creating them. The Apostle John would, would write, My little children. Okay, it's a, it's a term of endearment for somebody that you love. person could have even been older than them, but they looked at them spiritually as my little children. I love you. I'm your spiritual parent. And, um, you know, this is really the crescendo of the, of the relational part before he jumps in in the next verse and we go back to doctrinal, but we'll do that another Sunday. He says, whom I labor in birth. Now, this is fascinating because men don't usually say that because we don't give birth. If you know something different, let me know. But for the most part, this is how it works. So here the Apostle Paul is speaking about himself like a mother giving birth. Now check this out about childbirth. Really, the pregnancy and the delivering. Number one, and we can't understand this as guys. Number one, it's one of the greatest expressions of love. Number two, it's one of the greatest expressions of pain. Pretty powerful, isn't it? So he uses this analogy of childbirth. And there's another layer in this too because Jesus speaks about being born again, being born of the Spirit. So when you really reflect on this and read it a few times, it's just very deep. 
He says, whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. He's basically saying to the Galatians, I want to see you through the end. You know, as a spiritual parent, um, I birthed you in a sense. I, I brought you to the Lord. I led you to the Lord. I want to see you grow. I want to see you well. I want to see you mature before I exit the picture. Very powerful. Last verse for today, verse 20. I'll read it again. He says, I would like to be present with you now and to change my tone, for I have my doubts about you. I wish I could change my tone. I wish I could be there in person. Galatians, I wish that we could have a different conversation. I wish I could talk about growth. I wish I could talk about seeing some of you as pastors and ministry leaders. I wish I could train some of you now to become evangelists, but we haven't got through the building block stage. This is the, a huge impasse. Uh, and, I'm, and I'm concerned. I have my doubts about you. See, the Galatians broke away from Paul and were swooned by false teachers that sounded so sweet, and they thought that the Apostle Paul was holding out on them. And i got to tell you, sometimes when you're in discipleship and you're discipling and you're a mentor, um, it's very hard to compete with somebody who's hearing things through another way that's always positive. That's always soothing. Well, what the flesh does is, well, I don't want to hear something negative about me. And they start to take the path of least resistance. And they start to move in that direction. Okay? The personal cost of ministry, yes, there's a personal cost. There's a relational strain. There's heartbreak. But let me ask you this. Imagine how God feels. We have a circle of friends and loved ones, and we love them dearly. God loves everybody on the earth. And look what's going on on this planet. So don't you think that it breaks his heart, you know? He has perfect emotions. When he's angry, he has a good reason to be, because he's God. When he loves, his love is unconditional. But a lot of people have rejected him, and they, they take up silly things in his place. They don't want anything to do with him. The Apostle Paul left and lost everything in this world when he became a Christian. And the only two things he had left... Maybe this will make this come out a little bit more. Number one, he had God's calling, which is awesome. If we're the only person left on the earth and nobody else cares for us and we're a pariah and we have God, that's an awesome thing. The second thing is he had personal relationships that were strained at times with those that he was trying to mature in the Word. If you're doing ministry correctly, you'll find yourself pouring yourself into others. We'll be tangible, we'll be relatable. Now, some on TV talk about this stuff, but they're completely insulated. They have the perfect life. They really don't have, you know, the, everything's taken care of for them, and then they want to talk to us about struggle. But the rest of us that are down here, we try to be relatable. We, our humanness comes out. And then sometimes a person takes that for granted, or they use it against us in a later time. So similar to the Apostle Paul, that tangibility, relatability, will sometimes cause us to be misunderstood, vilified, and, you know, things to be taken out of context. So you may say to me, you're not making ministry sound really palatable. <laughs> okay? Remember, there's joys and sadness. There's highs and lows. Jesus did say, remember this, before you follow him, what did he say? Count the costs. Because there are costs. And in particular, this morning, we're speaking about a personal cost. So I want to leave you with this. One day... God will show us the fruit of our labors. Every person that we talk to, every person that we try to pour into, 
and maybe we don't see the fruit right away. Maybe it's 20 years later. Maybe it's after we pass away. I believe in heaven God will show us all of our efforts and the fruit. There'll be a harvest of souls that maybe that we had a part of, right? I could talk to people for years in the church and think they leave the church, they move to another state, that they just, they're not interested. Then I find out later, I get a phone call that some other pastor or evangelist closed the deal. But I got, I got a part of that, and that's exciting to me. You see what I'm saying? Here's the interesting thing in the world. You, you know, you go to work. You know, you'll go to work tomorrow, those of you, and, and have a, t- a tough boss, and, and they're going to want production. They don't care about your effort. <laughs> but I really tried, boss. Yeah, whatever. You're at the bottom of the, of the production line here. You know what I'm saying? You, I think I'm going to consider firing you. See, God's different. God doesn't rate us on our production. He rates us on our effort because he knows the heart right? Everything that we put into. So we didn't, we may have ministries that are start-off ministries, but he grades us, so to speak, on the heart, on the effort that we put into it. So I will tell you this, one day, many of us will be a part of that bounty, of those harvest of souls, and it will be a joyous time. And I don't know if anything gets better than that. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfield's by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.